Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Paul Freels. And I'm Dave Guzman. And welcome to Practical Bass, where each week we pick a topic of interest to you, the working bass player, and we sort of deconstruct it, take it apart and look at it from a few different angles and uh, contribute a little bit of our experience and a little bit of our opinion. Um, you can find us on the web at practicalbase.com. We would love for you to leave us some feedback there. There's a contact form that will reach us by email. Dave and I read everything that we get there, so please feel free to get in touch with us. You can also get in touch with us via social media, of course. You can look up the Facebook page for Practical Base. We are also on Twitter. We are on Google+, and we're even on Instagram, and we'd love to have you guys share pictures of your gear, your rig, or your gigs with us. Um, our entire reason for being is to help you improve and elevate your gigs and gear to the next level. And in furtherance of that, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to have a conversation with you, what you like, what you dislike. We'd love to hear suggestions for future shows. Please share them with us at any time. And you can hear this podcast uh, every week. We have a fresh episode that comes out on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern weekly, uh, except when we don't quite meet that deadline, right? Unless if it's not. It does, unless it doesn't. <laughs> it exists or it doesn't. But regardless, whenever it does emerge from the caverns of the Practical Base Studios, uh, you guys will be the first to know about it if you subscribe to the podcast. And that if you're going to do one thing, that's the thing we would ask you to do is subscribe to the podcast. Um, and you can do that very easily. You can go to practicalbase.com and use the subscribe link there to learn how to do that. You can use your iPhones. You can. Podcasts app. Right. Or if you have a venerable iPod, I suppose you could do that as well. Right. <laughs> um, if you have a Mac computer, you can use iTunes. Uh, you can use Google Play on your Android phone or any computer. You could use Stitcher Radio on any platform. Simply search for Practical Base and you'll find our friendly black and white PB logo and hit the subscribe link and you'll get a fresh episode delivered to you every week when it emerges from the studios. So we do ask you to subscribe and please do feel free to share this with your friends and your, your relatives, your loved ones, uh, maybe even people you don't like very much because Hey, every day is another day to turn it around. Right, Dave? That's right. That's how <laughs> that's, I look at every day. That's my philosophy. That's exactly it. So what are we going to talk about today? Uh, today we have a, a topic that was a recommendation from from a friend of Practical Base, Adam Smolanski. Adam, Adam is the man. Yeah, he's a, he is an amazing. Like first, he's an amazing bass player. Right, really great, but also super super guy. Yeah, just well. like a really nice guy. Yeah, really well thought. Yeah. So for those for for those of our uh, our fan base out in San Diego, you can catch Adam Smolanski. He's he's out there gigging pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and he happens, yeah, he happens to be a monster on bass. Yeah. And, super monster. If you watch his, you watch his right hand, he has that, that beautiful effortless drift right. over the strings. And it's just, it's beautiful to watch. Like I want to cry when I watch it. Yeah. He has no pinky float. You know, the pinky <laughs> float. He's like the anti pinky float. Yeah. Nothing's out of place. It's all tucked in and efficient and. No, just great. So yeah, so he recommended a topic for us. Um, he's pinged us a couple of times and finally we decided to tackle it and it's the topic of uh, James Jamerson. And this is a, that is a lofty 
topic to cover for any podcast. And I, you know, I was, I don't know about you, but I was kind of worried about this one. I'm like, how, what is our spin on this as practical base? Right. Because you could talk about his, you know, his technique. Sure. And you could talk about his, you know, the way he played, but how do we bring that into like a practical right sphere? Right. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, just recognizing in general that James Jamerson is certainly, you know, one of those bass players who's influenced so many players out there, um, maybe more than, than any others in history. Like he's yeah. just, he just has that, that style and that name behind him. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing about him is we were discussing this off mic before the episode started, even that, you know, there may be somebody out there who says, well, yeah, I don't really, I'm not into that music. Like I don't dig that music. Like I'm into this other guy, you know, who's maybe a, sure. a Titan of some genre that you care about. And chances are, if that's a popular genre of any kind, like any kind of, you know, rock, blues, jazz, whatever. Sure. You know, he influenced so many leaders that if you're looking up to somebody, even if you're not into Jamerson, chances are your idol is into Jamerson. Right. Or your idol's idol. Yeah. 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 Or your idol's idol's idol. Right. Even. A great, a a great, great idol. Right. And yeah, they can, I was going to make a joke about great and it's just not working. So it's okay. There was something there. (laughs) No, there wasn't. It's funny. There was nothing. It's funny anyways. (laughs) Oh my God. So when, where, where did you first hear, you know, like obviously Motown, you know, Tamil Motown was like, that was Jamerson's. Right. That's where his legend was built. Yep. Where where did you first, where and when did you first hear that? I first heard uh, Motown certainly, well, I guess I'd have to take a guess at it, but I think it was in the womb. (laughs) Really early. Yeah. Like super early ears were just forming maybe even like while i was being created for the very first moment yeah no i um no i mean my folks you know um from from an age standpoint my you know my parents grew up in the 50s and 60s and they grew up in new york which is not quite detroit but yeah I think by the mid sixties, you know, Motown already had a recording studio in New York. Things were, things were moving. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in general, New York really had, you know, the, in, in the neighborhoods they were bringing in, you know, a lot of music that was dance oriented. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was on the edge. Like Motown was like the, the edge of what was hip and it was like that was the new thing. Exactly, exactly. It was right before everybody started falling all over themselves to Right. So growing up, you know, of course, you know, what was on the record player was typically, you know, it was very common to find, you know, whatever Stevie Wonder, Temptations, Gladys Knight, Marvin Gaye, all that stuff. Um, you know, I think at a at a young age, of course, like most, like I didn't even recognize that there was a bass player, that yeah. the bass player even existed. Yeah. Right. But um, but I would say one thing that I always tie to it is that, that I, I have a very like specific memory of being taught how to dance by my aunt at age like five or six. And I remember being in the living room and I remember that it was to, I was made to love her. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, my so there's gosh. something about that. 
that's like for me that was a, a you know a, looking back that was a key point yeah but you know that was my experience what was what was your experience in in your first sort of motown um so i I grew up listening to soul music. I think a lot like you. I I don't yeah. remember if it was in the womb. I honestly don't know. I would be very surprised. But I remember listening to soul music a lot when I was a kid. Uh huh. But the funny thing is, a lot of what I listened to was on Atlantic. Like I didn't hear a lot of Motown huh. when I was super young that right. I remember. But I do remember Atlantic soul. Right. So for me, I was listening to like Wilson Pickett. Otis Redding. Yeah. You know, so I was listening to like it's edgier. Had, whereas you had the Motown guys, like I was listening to Muscle Shoals. Right. Coming up. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, but then later, right, when I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 12, 12, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's when Thriller came out. Right. And that kind of got me into the history of the Jackson Five and yep. Motown, that kind of spread out into Motown. Who are all these people who were playing with them back then? And who, right. what are these other bands? And all these other things started to like crash in about that point, right? right. So the Motown 25 special came on, like, you know, was that the year after Thriller or something like that? Pretty close to, yeah. Yeah, that was like, it was when there was that, that time where Michael Jackson was like at the height, you know, of- right everything right and uh you know the moonwalk and all that anyway that's that's what kind of led me into yeah. going back and listening to you know more motown and it was a good time to do it right because the big chill came out in 1983 that's right and that kind of yeah. resurged all the soul music that i don't know like my parents would then kind of like try to lay claim to or something like right that. they didn't really like my parents didn't they didn't really care about this stuff but i think a lot of suburban parents like it kind of took them back to their like late teens or whatever sure well just like when we hear music from our from that era and you know whatever however many years ago that was we cling on to it yeah because it's still it was prevalent and then you have you know it has some relevance and and you know, brings about memories and whatnot. Yeah. So you tie uh, to it closer. Personally, I'd rather, yeah, I kind of rather tie to that than like, than Bon Jovi. That's just me. Right. I, I can't help it. That's just my, <laughs> that's just my bent. Nothing against, hey, nothing against them. Hey. Godspeed. Just, you know, I, what I like. <laughs> anyway, so, um, well, so that's a little bit about, you know, Motown as it filtered down to us right as kids like we were obviously you know we were born after that era so that's how the music reached us finally right um you know through the years when did you start to pay attention to james jamerson as one of the great players of motown and you know yeah just to be fair like not the only player right like right. bob babbitt is that's right one, so you know but the you know the thing about um jamerson is you know he's kind of he really had the lock on i think the the parts that people think oh my gosh like this is like the right the epitome of bass playing so i mean right. what how did you how did you discover that like how did you get in, yeah. in tune with what he was doing and really think about that i think even even at that point so for me when i first started playing 
uh, you know, I guess there, there was a, there was a string of different influences that were coming in. So we're talking about like the mid nineties. And I remember that there was like, I was just trying to cover a lot of songs. Right. And they, they, yeah. they spanned like all the way from like Primus, which is like crazy. You know, when you start, you don't know what you're doing. You're just like no. tackling the yeah. monsters. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, of course I was like hitting Jocko, like, oh yeah, I totally don't know what I'm doing. But there was also a patch that like this love for me grew and it's where I started learning how to play um, a lot of Stevie Wonder songs, right? It was sort of that feel. Um, And one of the first ones I can remember trying to tackle was Uptight, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Which is almost like gospel in a way, like the way that it drives. Right. Right. And it's very like, that's a very like four on the floor. Do, 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 do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, for me, that was that moment where I, I still didn't know that that was James Jamerson, right? Because I'm not paying attention to that. So I'm still like in this oblivious, you know, just discovering there's a bass player in every band. Yeah. But that was probably that point where I realized like groove and feel was critical. Like that's, that's what I was going to take at a bass. Right. I wanted that um it probably wasn't until about 10 years after that give or take that i just kept hearing this pattern of so many other bassists that i was listening to like in any sort of like i guess you know interviews or biographies and they always went back to james jamerson being one of their biggest influences as a bass player and i just kept hearing the name that made me think about you know, researching that and going back to that. And, you know, that was about the time, I guess, like 10 years after I started playing that I really started getting into like transposing when, you know, like specifically like as hard as I could, like transposing note for note, what was going on. Yeah. And I get into James Jamerson and I realize it's so simple and it's so complex. Yeah. It was like just mind blowing. And that for me was probably the, the biggest point where I thought, yeah, that's, that's something he had, right. he was onto something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Jamerson, I mean, he was playing bass before the dawn of the electric bass or, you know, during the time right. of the dawn of electric bass. So he, you know, he played upright, right? you know, it, at least this is my memory. Like I read his biography a long time ago, but my memory is that he was an upright player and, you know, and he brought that to his playing. Yeah you know, with his, what they called the hook, right? It was just right. like his one finger. Yeah, which, which makes is, sense, right. But yet is crazy because you hear these bouncy, uh, you know, these bouncy arpeggiated parts that he played. Right. And he was playing those with one finger. He was just very, right. you know, for him, that was not a workout because he was used to playing an upright. And so the electric is like, oh, this it's makes it toy. easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now, yeah. I can, now I can really get in, get in, get crazy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I took up bass when I was in college. And it was right around the time, I think I picked up bass the year before uh, Alan Slutsky's book, Standing in the Shadows of Motown, Mm. came out. And that was a book that, you know, it explored James Jamerson as a player and, you know, and and the Motown era and how it affected and how it influenced all of bass that was coming, you know, that came after. Right. Right. And a big part of it was it came with this, like a tape or a CD where you could hear all these players, like these other famous players 
that he had gone out and found who sat down in the studio and recorded like themselves playing Jamerson's parts. Oh, wow. In the music. So you would hear the music on one side, then you'd hear on the other channel, your, you know, this other famous bass player playing, you know, Jamerson lines. And, and it, it was, it was interesting. They had, it had mixed results. I would say, I would say the results were mixed. Um, you know, some of the people brought their own character to the playing and right. sometimes that character didn't really mesh well with the groove right. of the Motown song, but like they missed the memo. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, but it was interesting. I mean, it definitely was interesting sure. and, and it was, you know, that was the thing that kind of exposed me to him, you know, as the force that he was in bass and, you know, all the players that I knew from, you know, rock, Yeah, you know, they all worshiped at the altar of Jamerson. They were like, you know, who's the, you know, Slutsky asked them like who, you know, who were their greatest influences and to a one, all these guys are like James Jamerson. Like he's right. the godfather right. of, of bass yeah, popular music. Um, so that, you know, that kind of started me to dive deeper into Motown, you know, even at that point and really, yeah. you know, really dig into his parts. And, you know, what got me was that emotional sound that he yeah. could portray he had you know, these beautiful, very simple lines that he would do for some ballads. Right. Um, and it could sound very, you know, very, you know, almost a little mournful. And then, yeah. and then he had parts that were, you know, for up-tempo numbers that are just these joyous, bouncy, almost little symphonies. Like they're little, literally little symphonies unto right. themselves. Right. You know, and, and, that just amazed me. Like if you sit down and really listen to some of his, some of his parts that he does, like, you know, I was made to love her or something like that. Like it's, you hear what he's doing and you're just like, this guy was so far beyond anything that anyone was doing with, you know, bass in any kind of popular music. I mean, but especially in, you know, in pop in those days. Right, you know, he and wasn't he, just holding down a root or something. It was right. He, and he, and he not only did he get away with it, but he turned it into something. Yeah, it was like a thing unto itself. And and for those that are that are involved in like writing original bass lines, like it's, I think the tendency is just to find a line that works, and you use that for the song. Yeah, right. Yeah. You might like tweak it. Yeah. You know, it's like the uh, there was an um, an interview with you know the big like Jaco Pistorius kind of like video that you know the instructional video where he's interviewed for a bit and he would always just at one point he says yeah it's just like I see a lot of cats just like wiggling around their fingers right like just yeah making something out of nothing yeah and that's you know it's a tendency it's a tendency for bass players to have just a line and then they'll you know either like wiggle their fingers or just do something more out of whatever the line is delivering but to have an intentional, you know, like you said, that as, as though it's like a symphony. Yeah. He would like, just he'd like, have this part and then he would, it would develop over yeah. the course of the song to where, I mean, it would be, you know, obviously you could, you could still kind of feel the fundamental theme of what yeah. that line was, but he'd play around with it. He'd add, he'd add embellishments. There'd be like yeah. different chord tones that he would use around the notes 
from, you know, the first verse would kind of like establish it. The second verse would kind of grow it a little bit. The bridge, like his bridge parts were insane. And then he'd come back to the third part and just take it to a whole new level when it came back. And sometimes there'd be a modulation there. So he's in a new key, but he's still like, he's still playing with this original pattern, but then, you know, taking it even further to give it like lift the third verse right or the right. the last verse like lift it beyond where the rest of the song was like yeah. he was thinking in terms of arrangements well i don't know that's right you know i don't know whether he was thinking of that or whether he just did it instinctively but it doesn't matter either way it was genius right right you know i i always felt like when one of the coolest things about his bass lines are that you know this is a period where like the the it was the lead vocalist was the star right Whoever was singing, it was typically like the name of the band or, you know, if it's yeah. a group of people, that's who the name of the band was, was them, right? So because, and so in the hoojibajis. Exactly. <laughs> and to me, what I got from it, and maybe this is super obvious, I just don't care, but it's that he played around the melody of the voice. And if you, um, you know, I was made to love her has like a, uh, that, um, harmonica part yeah right and then he's playing around the harmonica right and it kind of like plays in that era right or if it's like gladys like he's playing around yeah for me maybe that's just my interpretation of it but I always felt like the way that he was composing was yeah he was being centric to yeah. what the vocals are like, doing like when that harmonica solo starts right and people can go listen to the recording and you know hear a little bit of it just you know go to youtube and look it up but you know, the, the harmonica solo starts and the harmonica over the course of the solo moves up, right? right. It, it keeps kind of moving up by stair steps a little bit at a time. And then you notice like, oh, now it's a little higher. Now it's a little higher until it gets to the, right. you know, that, that, that amazing, you know, high note, you know, da, 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 da. and right. while he's doing that, like, especially when he starts out, right, Stevie's playing the, the, the harmonica part and it's moving up. Jamerson drops below like he's he goes from the root and then drops to the third that's below that right, right. like he's he's kind of like giving the motion under it right but he's doing it by anchoring it deeper in the ground right and like giving him the foundation to work with exactly you know and he's not just playing he's he's not just playing like a simple root he's like he's he's working like he's hearing the drums and he's hearing the rhythm of the solo yep. and working around with that. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing that's, I mean, it's brilliant. And, you know, if this all sounds very, I don't know, highfalutin or or technical, I mean, I would challenge the listeners, you know, go get a recording of this and just like put it on loop and really just like listen to it, listen to, and not just the bass, but listen to the harmonica part, listen to the vocal, and then compare them back to the bass. Right. And check out what you're hearing. They're like, listen to what's happening, like how each of those things is moving. I mean, I would say, you know, it's one of those amazing moments when you hear a bass player who is able to work within the structure of a song like that, but yet, you know, create something that is, it's almost so good, it stands up by itself. Right. You know? Yep. That's, I mean, that yeah. that is truly a, I mean, it's truly miraculous. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Um, so, you know, the, the, the challenge then, though, 
right? I guess just to bring this back, I mean, we're we're both kind of like definitely waxing the Jamerson car at right. this point, <laughs> you know, and it's a shame that you know he passed away without receiving the accolades that he so dearly deserved. And you know, another recommendation for listeners: if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go. Don't even don't go. You know, get it on BitTorrent or whatever. Don't go. You know, get it from the library. Literally, just go buy the movie, the documentary "Standing in the Shadows" of Motown. Just buy it. Yeah, and that is a documentary that is about the Funk Brothers, right? Yep. The, the the all of the amazing musicians who created the Motown sound. It wasn't just Jamerson. I mean, he was surrounded by great players. And right. you know, when you're a bass player, you're going to sound as good as you know, the rest of the rhythm section does, yep. and, you know, and these guys were amazing. They're amazing together. And, you know, 40 years later, they're still amazing. Yep. You know, when they did these, sh- they did these shows with some, you know, artists who were contemporary at the time. Yep. Who understood and really got inside that music as well. So like, just get that documentary standing in the shadows of Motown. You can get it on DVD, just buy it. It is yep. absolutely fantastic and you'll probably watch you probably watch it over and over i mean like i i don't think a year goes by that i don't pull it out and watch it again just because it's so inspiring to watch these yeah. guys how they how they groove together how they lock together and it's just effortless yeah you know and the sad thing is jamerson had passed away before that was made but there's a big part of that movie that's about his contributions to the group and they all knew yeah they all knew he was a genius, right? These guys are all great players, but they knew that he was like a, a, a true genius. And, you know, he was, a, he was kind of a, he was kind of a crazy man too. Like he, like yeah. a lot of geniuses, he was, sure. you know, he was touched by genius and touched by a little bit of that insanity too. But I mean, it's not buy one, get one free. Yeah. Yeah. Not to the level of like, you know, he was like some homicidal maniac or something. He was right. just he was just a funny guy like he played practical jokes on them and things like that it was yeah. just he was a he was a funny guy you yeah know? but you know and then he had you know kind of you know, sadly you know he drifted like a lot of musicians did into substance abuse yeah. um, particularly alcohol i don't know um, much about the a lot of his later years i don't know if anyone really does because he sort of drifted out of the public eye right a bit and when the motown 25 special came around you know, he was around for that, but didn't really get a, like, you know, not, not much of that really impacted his life. Yeah. Despite the fact that he was instrumental in creating what was the Motown sound. Right. right? And, you know, he, he passed away, you know, some few years after that, I, I wanted late eighties, I think mm-hmm. mid late eighties. And, uh, yeah. And so he didn't see this resurgence of interest and the documentarians who are interested in the history of popular music and and what a big part he played in that that's a shame you know and i think the best way to honor that legacy is go you know really go check out the guy's work because whatever else you might think of him like his his work just stands for itself i mean it's fantastic yeah
Hey guys, this is Paul. This is Dave. And uh, so this this conversation on James Jamerson uh, really went on for a while. I mean, there's so much to say about the guy. He is one of the greatest luminary figures in all of bass playing. And, you know, we did spend a while talking about him. Um, Dave and I kind of looked at each other after this got done and we thought, you know, this really is going to this is going to take two episodes rather than kind of sock yeah. you with an hour of stuff at once. Yeah. You know? Why don't we just go ahead, just split it up, turn it into two episodes, let you digest it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what better way to, you know, say thanks to our, our pal Adam than uh, having him be responsible for, for two episodes. Rather yeah, so, than one. yeah. So if you don't like it, then you could blame Adam. Yeah, Just, just blame Adam. It's he's all in, his fault. He's in San Diego. I don't know if we mentioned that or not. He's very far away from us. So we don't, yeah. <laughs> It's going to take a while for him to get here and punish us for that. So it's like a time delay. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll definitely have we'll have part two out next week, and uh, we hope you'll come back and join us for the second part of this chat because you know we we dear hopefully our love for Jamerson comes through, and you know for those of you who maybe don't love him, maybe this will give you some some new ways to kind of chew on his legacy and and think about how you know how that might affect your your work as a player. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you next week.